Pastor Gordon Atkinson tells a story of the strangest prayer request he ever received. During a church service, a little girl raised her hand and asked for prayer for her sick hermit crab. Atkinson Pauls struck by the trivial nature of this request as he contemplated the needs of his congregation. He thought about Roy, whose father had passed away, and Chris, who had been abused for, for years as a child as she prayed that God would stop it, and Julie, a five-year-old who had died of cancer. Gordon continued looking out over the congregation as their heads bowed, all except for his, and he wondered, how do you pray for a hermit crab in the midst of such human pain and suffering? Atkinson says, you know what got me started praying? The heads. Roy's head and Chris's head, all of them, rows and rows of heads bowed together, waiting expectantly. Here were people who would pray for a crab. They loved this little girl that much, and she felt comfortable enough to share the concerns of her heart. Even in the midst of their own unanswered prayers, they were big enough and small enough to pray with their young friend. He goes on to say that regardless of what he was praying for, he got what he actually needed. That prayer changed him from someone who knew less about praying than almost anyone in that church, including the little girl with the hermit crab, to someone who would pray for just about anything. Ask any Christian the most important practice of faith, and prayer will be at the top of most lists. But if you dig further and ask about someone's personal prayer life, things get a little more uncertain. While we state our belief in the power of prayer, our own prayer lives may be irregular and fraught with uncertainty. Do we really believe that prayer makes a difference? And if so, how? What about the many prayers that go unanswered? In our scripture today, the disciples seem to be wrestling with similar questions. Although they were were well-versed in the Jewish prayers of the day, they must have been startled to hear Jesus address the holy God, whose name that they weren't even allowed to utter, as Abba, Daddy. Maybe they wondered at the source of Jesus' power, or maybe they desired a closer connection with the God whom Jesus intimately knew, ironic as they were actually with God. Perhaps they were stung and humbled by their own failures. Earlier in the gospel, Jesus had sent out his followers in his name, giving them the power to drive out demons and cure disease, preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. When they returned, they excitedly told Jesus of all they had experienced. They had seen and done so many things, and so they told him about all that they had been stunned by, with one exception, it seems. A father in the crowd surrounding Jesus begged Jesus to heal his son of an evil spirit. Apparently, the disciples had tried to do so and had failed. Jesus seems to roll his eyes as he he wonders out loud how long he will have to put up with this unbelieving generation, and he quickly heals the boy. In some of the other Gospels, the disciples ask Jesus why they couldn't heal this particular boy, and Jesus replies, That spirit can only come out through prayer. It makes you wonder how the disciples were doing their healing. I think with all about the healing power of prayer in this story and other biblical accounts, and yet more often I'm reminded of my own weakness in this area. How many times have I been asked to pray for someone, 
And I commit to doing so, and yet in the back of my mind is that nagging doubt that it won't make a difference. I've known many people who have prayed fervently and with unflinching faith, and yet their prayers were not rewarded with any sort of physical healing. In contrast, a 2003 survey reported 500 clinical studies documenting correlations between religious practices such as prayer and better health and healing and expanded lifespans. And over half of doctors surveyed reported witnessing what they considered to be miracles of healing when patients spontaneously recovered from illnesses with no medical explanation. And as exciting as these studies are, the results seem to be random. Babies and children die while drunk drivers and child molesters live and prosper, and pain and suffering plague the righteous. We believe in the power of prayer, but like the disciples, we are left wondering how exactly it all works. What are the secrets? We are all looking for that magic formula. The formula that Jesus gives his disciples, a model prayer of sorts, is one that we are familiar with as we use it today. We used it earlier in the service in a version from Matthew's Gospel, which has also been tweaked a little over the centuries. But the prayer in Luke gives us the basics. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. If this is the model that we are to go by, What does it teach us? While I don't believe there is a magic three-step prayer formula that will guarantee success, unfortunately, I do think Jesus' words here illuminate three aspects of prayer. Hospitality, persistence, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hospitality is something I've been talking about, we've been talking about in our Sunday school class, the Journey class. It can be defined as giving and receiving welcome welcome in relationship. And Jesus' prayer starts off with an acknowledgement of our connection to and relationship with God, not as a far-off unknown deity, but as a close, intimate, and personally caring father. While this term father can be limiting or difficult for someone who has had an absent or abusive earthly father, God is the ultimate ideal of fatherhood our loving creator, protector, and gentle leader. When we call God Father, we are emphasizing our dependence on him. We come humbled, seeking his approval and direction. Yet the scripture reminds us that we don't have to fear, as God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children, providing for their needs. Once we understand and accept our relationship to this good father, we are able to express our gratitude for all God is. Hallowed be your name shows God is holy, in control, higher than us, outside of us, and yet reachable. Recognizing God's glory shows us how small we actually are. We are dependent on God's provision of our daily bread, giving us just what we need. And this is the part of prayer I think we get stuck on a lot of times. We want, we need, we worry, we fret. Or maybe this is just me. Those are definitely things that I do. We are promised that God will provide, ask, and it will be given. And yet this doesn't always seem like the case. Part of the hospitality of prayer is accepting in faith that God will supply our needs. 
Maybe not the way we expect or want or demand, but God will supply our needs. Conversely, as New Testament scholar Richard Vinson points out, for Americans, asking for just our daily bread is akin to asking for a pay cut, as many of us live in states of overabundance. We have more than enough for each day, while the majority of the world lives on less than $1 a day. We spend three times that much on our daily venti skim vanilla latte habit. As many in poorer nations worry over simply surviving, we worry about excess, excess weight, excess possessions that threaten to overtake us. Prayer helps us to see what we really need, the love that only God can supply. The other part of hospitality is opening our hearts and lives to share this gift, God's love, with our neighbors. Prayer also teaches us about persistence. The scripture talks about a friend that comes seeking food for an unexpected guest. Hospitality was necessary back in biblical times when there were no hotels or 24-hour convenience stores or drive-through fast food. If guests came, even arriving late at night from their travels, you were expected to provide for them. There was no other way. Jesus reminds us that we would be hospitable to a friend in need, if only because of his persistence in the middle of the night, knocking on our door and waking us up. We are reminded, then, to be unrelenting in our prayers. We must continue in prayer simply because it is not easy. When we don't receive easy, quick answers, or perhaps receive no answer at all, our tendency is to give up. How many have given up on faith and God simply because of unanswered prayers in a time of great need? But when we learn to pray without ceasing, bringing all of our cares and all of ourselves before God, we discover something amazing. We are changed. While prayer sometimes works to change God's mind, and there are several biblical examples of this, I think more often it changes ours. We gain a new perspective as we seek God in prayer, and sometimes our will begins to align more with God's will. Forgiveness becomes possible as we realize how much we have been forgiven, so it is easy to let go of those things we have held in our debt and those people that we have held in our minds. When we pray, we get outside ourselves so that we can get into God. In doing so, we are able to wake up to God's presence in our lives, in the good, bad, and the mystery of all that surrounds us. In his book, Prayer Doesn't Make a Difference, Philip Yancey says, the real value of prayer is not so much that we get what we want as that we become the person we should be. Many people have found it helpful to rewrite the Lord's Prayer for their own personal use. Clarence Jordan, the author of the Cotton Patch Gospels, sets his paraphrases in the South United States in the mid-20th century. His version of the Lord's Prayer from Luke reads, When you pray, say, Father, may your name be taken seriously. May your movement spread. Sustaining bread grant us each day and free us from sins, even as we release everyone indebted to us. And don't let us get all tangled up. Don't let us get all tangled up. I like that. And I think I need that reminder. Not to get tangled up in sin or trials or temptations, certainly, but also not to get tangled up in worry 
or in comparing myself with others, or wanting what others have, or being too busy that my life just passes me by without me even noticing. And I think that's a big part of what prayer is all about. It's a reminder to us about what is important, that sometimes we can only find our true priorities when, as the psalmist said, we are still, be still, and know God. As Rick Warren opens his bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life, it's not about you, meaning it's also not about me. It's really about God. Prayer allows us to give up the illusion of our control and admit our total dependence on God. Although we live in relative abundance, many of us still feel empty, powerless, and in need. Only God can help us find the meaning and purpose in our lives. And to find that, we have to seek it. Ask, and it will be given. Perhaps the greatest gift of prayer is what Jesus calls the good gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to ask, and it will be given to you. We want this to mean we can have anything we want. And yet we learn through prayer that God's gifts for us are often better than what we wish for ourselves. I think of the the Garth Brooks song, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. And I know, looking back over my life, that there are many prayers that I'm glad that God didn't answer the way that I stated them. The gift of the Spirit is the promise that we are never truly alone. That God is always with us, supporting us, comforting us, and working to bring redemption in our lives and in our world. We are told in Scripture that even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. This is the ultimate goal of prayer, to make a connection with God that will sustain us, even when everything seems to be falling apart. Our persistence in prayer teaches us hospitality, to be open to the transforming presence of the Spirit so that we can be a transforming presence to those around us. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about her own struggles with prayer, but also about the times when prayer overtakes her and she is, quote, utterly swamped by the presence of the holy. Perhaps you've had a similar moment when heaven and earth seem to meet and life seems full and right. All is at peace. She continues, I can no longer tell the difference between near, need, fear, thanks, and want. Did God find me or did I find God? Hush, the time for words is past. Prayer is communication that goes beyond words. I invite you now to open your hearts, minds, and souls in prayer. As we have this time of prayer, I'm going to to say the words from Luke's gospel. And I invite you in your minds to, to pray what those words communicate to you, the needs of your heart. After this, we will have a hymn, and I invite anyone that would like to know more about connecting with our church or connecting with God to come forward. Let us pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. 
for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Amen.